All right, welcome back to the Big Texas Podcast presented by Texas Young Republicans. I'm your host, Jordan Overturf. And if you thought I was done talking about the special election runoff in HD 28 and HD 148, then you must not know that today is election day. That's right. The special election runoff in House District 28 and House District 148 is finally here. Polls close at 7 p.m. If you're listening to this afterward, well, you missed your chance and your opportunity but if you are listening to this now live before the polls close you need to make sure and get out and vote this is house district 28 in fort bend county gary gates is running to hold on to that seat maintain a republican control in hd 28 and defeat the democrats who are coming in trying to buy this seat with endorsements from presidential candidates you know failed still uh, aspiring candidates who are coming down and block walking for this little old house race. So again, if you live in Fort Bend County in House District 28, today is your day to go and vote in that special election runoff. Also over in HD 148, Louis LaRota, friend of the podcast, Houston Young Republican, is running to take control of that seat uh, and bring new leadership, new fresh young Republican leadership to HD 148. So if you live in that district in Houston, Get out and vote. Uh, it's the last time I'm going to say it because, like I said, today's election day for HD28 and HD148. Okay, that's the last time. My guest today is a candidate in Texas 32, the seat that was once held by Congressman Pete Sessions and now is in the hands of Democrat Colin Allred. Uh, Yesterday, we had Genevieve Collins on the podcast, and today we welcome Floyd McClendon, retired U.S. Navy SEAL. Uh, I really really enjoyed talking to Floyd uh, about his experience in the military, uh, what he learned on the Hill, uh, working with various congressional uh, representatives, uh, talking about what his approach would be for the veterans healthcare system, talking about how the VA is a perfect example of why Medicare for all is a dangerous, dangerous proposition. Um, I, I really did have a good time talking to Floyd, and I think you're going to enjoy listening to him. So I'm going to get out of the way. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. Floyd McClendon. Away from the campaign trail to sit down with us. Uh, how long were you serving uh, in your country? Floyd McClendon, uh, serving... Uh, well, I'm trying to continue to serve my country uh, for, for Congress District 32 at Texas against yeah. Colin Allred. I served for over 25 years wow. in the United States Navy. Uh, I'm a retired U.S. Navy SEAL. And, and my, uh, this is my continuation to serve, um, along with a couple other, other things that motivated me along the way. Is I've, I've been preparing for this since 2013. Okay. Well, and what kind of spurred you at that point? <laughs> 2013, I was doing a speaking engagement and... After the speaking engagement, I had a former congressman walk up to me and ask me if, if um, I ever thought about politics. And I laughed at him. I was like, nah, nah no way. There's, there's no way I'm going to run. He's like, well, I think you may have what it takes. Here's my card. If, if, you, uh, if you think about it and it's something you want to do, you know, let me know. So a couple of years later, um, I came back from, I was over at Guam, work, you know, serving over in Southeast Asia for two years. Okay. And um, I got back and I knew I was going to retire. So I called him up and I said, hey, what's this all about? He started to mentor me. And then I went through a program in 2016 called the Honor Foundation. I don't mm-hmm. know if you ever heard of it. Yep. 
Yeah. Career readiness transition program. Yeah. Uh, it was phenomenal for me. And I told them this was my, my next calling. They laughed at me because my brothers, they knew. They knew who I, they, they, they knew me and they said, bro, there's no way that this is, this is you. But after we did the assessments and, and we sat down and we talked, it really resonated. They said, yes, this is, this is something that uh, you're, you're passionate about and something you can do after your career. So from there, I went, I got connected with Hill Vets. Okay. Okay. So Hill Vets is another veteran program that puts you on Capitol Hill. Yep. And this is where it all came together. I worked for a Republican congressman in North Carolina. His name was Robert Pittenger, uh, North Carolina 9th District. I was under his chief of staff, Clark Fonda. They started to mentor me and they opened up the doors. So I was, I was the, the military legislative fellow. So I handled military legislation. I also helped with them writing China legislation. I took meetings. I, I went to the committee meetings, all these things. <clears throat> to learn the process of how Congress really works. Mm -hmm. And I was very disappointed in the lack of leadership that our representatives had. I had a very high regard for our representatives. And what I saw, it, it didn't match. Yeah, And I knew that I had more than some in order to represent you know, our country, the American people. So that really spurred me to continue to go down this path. Another one was there's 21% of veterans in Congress right now. Okay. If you look back in the 1970s, it's about 70%. So what you lose is you lose a perspective from individuals who voluntarily served the American people in their country. They've seen the world. They've seen how great America really is mm -hmm. based off of the third world countries and the atrocities that they go through every day. And that plays a big part in passing legislation, writing legislation. Yeah. So I felt that we needed more representatives from a military background to be there to help with improving our legislation, you know, in our country. And so those are the main three things. It's my continuation to serve. It is, you know, lack of leadership that's in Congress. And it's uh, the lack of military veteran representation. Now, one of the big criticisms of Colin Allred is, you know, he had this opportunity to come in. He flipped a district and had a, a chance to change the narrative about the representation uh, for CD32. And yet in his first year in office, he was nowhere to be found. Right. You know. Democrats are pretty easy to find on the Hill right now, right? You just <laughs> whisper impeachment and they show up. So why do you think it is, or uh, let's not even get into that. What is it about your style that will be completely counter to what CD32 has been experiencing this last year? My campaign, we're, we're close to hitting 10,000 doors. Okay. And when the people open up the door, and I asked ask them, what is the most pressing thing on their mind when it comes to Congress and our district? And they say it's, it's the divisiveness that they see in Congress. And it's also the silent voice or ear on the other end when it comes to the current representative, right? So for me, this is about one, building a relationship with the people, building faith and trust back to where they, they feel very comfortable with a representative to go up to Washington, D.C. and fight for them. That requires communication. 
Now, not only is Colin Allred not talking to the people, he's not talking to the leaders in the community. He's not talking to the industries in the district, in the community, or in Washington, D.C. Now, how do I know this? Because when I go to Washington, D.C., I meet with the industries in the district, and this is what they tell me. Colin Allred is not taking any of our meetings. The leaders in in the cities are saying, I can't get a meeting with him. Radio shows, he's on the Transportation Infrastructure Committee up in Congress. Mm -hmm. There's a radio show specifically to talk about transportation and infrastructure. I went on that show and talked about transportation and infrastructure. And what they tell me is the current congressman won't even take their call to come onto the show to talk about the issues where he is a committee member. We'll talk about an absence of leadership. Exactly. So in the absence of leadership, one will lead. Mm-hmm. So here it is. District 32 needs a leader. They yeah. need someone who will communicate with them, who will talk to them and listen to them. Now, it doesn't just stop there. The current congressman before them is what I'm being told, did not have a respectful relationship with the people. He didn't listen to them. <clears throat> he called them names. He didn't respect their viewpoint. So for over 10 years, District 32 has not had a U.S. House representative that they can depend on. And some of them don't even know what it looks like when I come to them and, and, I, and I start to communicate with them. It is absolutely mind-blowing to them that I want to hear what's on their mind. So, so this is the, the, what I'm hearing from the people, from the leaders, from the industries, they, what, what they haven't had in 12 years. Now, my military background, 25 years of service, 15 years as a Navy SEAL, that background proves that I have the ability to communicate. I have the ability to, to work with diverse groups, teamwork, mm-hmm. right? I am very open-minded, I'm very outside the box, and I don't really care your, what your color is, where you came from, your economic status. If you're bringing something to the table to improve passing legislation, to improve our country, the American people, let's do it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm bringing to the table, what they have not had, but also with my experience in working overseas with our foreign allies and mission first, that's it, mission first. All the noise is to the side. It's mission first. I'm glad you brought that up because that's the one thing that I have noticed as I talk to veterans who are out there, they're running in these races as mission critical as the focus for their campaign. Right. Uh, and it seems like right now, it's not just this district, but many people across the country feel like their leadership in DC as a wall, Right. Is that an inaccurate statement from your experience? That's an accurate statement, but let's go a little bit deeper about why. Okay. Out of the 435 seats, only 50 are competitive. That means 385 seats, most representatives know regardless of what they do, they're going to get elected. Mm -hmm. The power is in the people. The power is in their vote. But we have to do the work. Yep. As a representative, I have to do my work in order to educate you, in order to be a good representation for you up in Congress. But you have to do your work to do your education and see what representative is best for you. Now, the 50 seats that are competitive, it's easy to build a relationship with that representative because that representative understands that 
if I don't, I'm out the door. Yeah. But the 385, they do whatever they want. And some of the people sit back and they don't do their work. They don't get out. They, they don't learn who that representative really is. Right. And they continue to vote for this person over and over again because they have a title of Republican or Democrat. Look at the values. Look at the way that this representative is voting for you. Right. It requires work mm-hmm. on both sides. And we as Republicans have been very lazy in this point. So, yes, it's now it's time to do our work. It's time to do our research because the only people that are going to change Congress is the American people. And they do that by their vote. So when you were growing up, uh, you know, what was the community like and who were your influencers on the political uh, side of things? So growing up, I grew up on the inner inner city, uh, south side of Chicago. I grew up in in a Democratic family community but I grew up on conservative values okay grew up in a church Christian my family taught me to work hard keep what you earn spend less right Um, traditional family values love God love your neighbor those type of things so when I got older I started to challenge myself and be like, why am I, why am I in, in this democratic circle? Let's, let's do the research and come to find out that my conservative values match with, which with, with the Republican party. So to fight, I have my family all the time. Um, but growing up I, in, you know, in my teens and my twenties, things like that, I wasn't, I was oblivious to, to politics. You know, it, it really didn't matter to me until I got married, had kids, start looking at my paycheck, start looking at how thing, how how legislation started to affect me. And then as I got older and, and, and started to understand the purpose of service, I grew into service. When I joined the Navy, it wasn't an altruistic reason. It was, it was a, it was a, I was an individual and I was looking for what the Navy could do for me. I didn't grow into service for others until I started to become a Navy SEAL. Okay. And then that's when, things started to resonate with me as far as how do I position myself to be a servant to you, to my brothers right next to me, right to my country. And I, and it just grew and grew and grew over the decades. So what spurred you to get out? Why did you retire? 25 years. My body was talking to (laughs) you. Come on. It's a, it's a young man's game. It was, it was time. Okay. Right. Um, I thought that I was going to do 30 years and then I came back from, I came back from Guam and I started to really, one, it was physically demanding and two, you know, my, you know, my boys were getting at an age where they, they needed, you know, daddy to be available right there. And I'd been gone, you know, for so long. And I think, and this is where it start to become a transition. So I looked, do I do five more years to push or like, you know what, it, it, it's time um, to, to move to another purpose. So as they see you going through this pursuit, right, uh, what are those conversations like with them as they talk to you about your politics? And do you kind of uh, end up rubbing against them wrong, you know, in their youthful exuberance? 
I, I do not. I don't press it upon them. Okay. I let them inquire on their own. And I just let them evolve and just watch the process. They have questions. We have a conversation. I do encourage them to, you know, to take note of the news and the way that America's going, the way how other countries are affecting us and, and, the, and the, uh, the issues that we have. But that's as, as far as, as I go okay. with that. I'm, I'm letting them evolve because at that time, when I was their age, I remember I had no, had no desire you know, to, to be in that circle. So it's just about exposing it to them a little, a little piece at a time, but also protecting them because the political circle can be pretty, can be pretty, uh, harsh, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to, to things. And I don't want them to experience that t- that part of it yeah. just, just yet. So getting back to this campaign, what are the issues that, uh, you know, you talked about the absence of leadership uh, from our current and former representative for CD32. What are some of the specific issues that they are saying, hey, I need you to make this mission priority number one? Priority number one is America's first agenda. And that starts at securing our border. If you look at how the border being open affects the rest of our country, human trafficking, drug trafficking, sex trafficking, cartels coming and going to do as they please. What you don't hear on the news is that we have individuals and groups that are coming over and they're setting up cells for the future to have some type of, of conflict on our soil. And we need to secure the border. It's not the president's job. It's Congress's job to do that. So, so this is the number one issue, and it, and it plays into the safety of the American people in our country. Our women and children are exposed. There is a baseball field that's right on the border. I want to, it's south, southwest of Texas. And they have little girls play softball on that field. It's so close to the border that you, you can have people on the other side watch. And what you'll have is you'll have people on the other side watching these little girls play. Yeah. What's so disturbing about this is these girls who play softball, these little girls have practiced whistle drills to run off the field into a ditch if something starts to happen. Somebody jumps on the field, try and snatch them or Um, you know, some violence pops out. This is very disturbing to me, but we're not having that conversation. It is, it is real. Mm -hmm. And this is the number one issue that we are talking about. So the other one is the, the economy. It's our communities having an opportunity, but right now businesses and entrepreneurs, they don't want to put their business in our Dallas communities because they're unsafe. Okay. This is the narrative. I'm not going to that neighborhood because it's unsafe. Our law enforcement severely undermanned, severely under-resourced, severely under-trained. I've toured their training facilities and it's horrific. It looks like five-year-olds put it together. They have to raise their own money to buy their weapons. Wow. It's not coming from the department. Now, from a federal perspective, I cannot directly get involved. However, I can indirectly get involved 
and put pressure on the state and the city and the community to figure out how do we get those communities safe? Because what that provides is opportunity for, for individuals to provide for their families. Yeah. Right. It provides for our communities to be safe and economic growth will, will present itself. So these are the top two, the top two. So are there any issues that you personally feel passionate about that you are taking on your shoulder uh, as you go along and you talk to people? Yes, I'm very passionate about protecting the American people and our country. And my resume speaks that our military veterans are lacking. They're, they're lacking the ability to transition over to the civilian sector. I call it building a bridge, Right. We're speaking two different languages. You have a military veteran who's getting out eight years, 20 years, 30 years. They have the soft skills. They know how to communicate. They know how to work across, they know how to work across the board. Um, they understand hierarchy. You can fire and forget. You can give it to them. Boom, they're gone. You don't have to, right? Yep. But we're having a difficult time translating that to the civilian sector, mm-hmm. right? The hard skills, you know, the, the, the technical part, that, that's easy to learn. The soft skills are already there. They're the hard things to learn. So you already have a military veteran ready. Just put them in and, and fire, and yeah. you can forget. Two is the, the health issues that we're having, PTSD, TBI. Um, the, the VA, you know, needs, needs a, a, a complete overhaul. You know, these things are very, very passionate about because I experienced the, the VA on, you know, I'm, I'm part of it. I experienced it. So I know, I, you know, I, I know the struggle that we're having. Mm-hmm. Also, there are alternative methods, alternative uh, medical lanes that we can go down that's less ex- expensive that we're not targeting. For example, and, and there's a Florida state senator, him and his wife, out of their own pocket, they provide hyperbaric pressure chamber treatment to veterans with PTSD. Wow. They give 40 treatments per, per veteran. Okay. It costs $8,000 for the whole treatment. By the end of the treatment, there's a significant positive change in the veteran, meaning their brain, because they're, you know, they're, they're, they're looking at their brain and then also, too, on how they are communicating and working within the community with their families. Mm-hmm. Why is that not one of the main sources that we can go to? Why is this uh, Florida State Center and his wife still having to fund it out of their, out of their pocket? I just did a, a study on my own. It was two weeks long, and it's here in, in, in Dallas. And it's an alternative treatment for veterans for TBI. Okay. And there is a there is a very altruistic woman who is paying for it out her pocket for each veteran. And from day one to day ten, significant difference between the veterans. How do I know this? Because I went through it. They 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 looked at me, they assessed me, I did all these tests, and they said, hey. This is what's going on with your brains and your eyes, right? Mostly it was training the brains and eyes because it's a muscle. Mm-hmm. And we get into these, these uh, certain habits. But not only that, it's identifying like, look, you're not hopeless. Here's what you can do 
on your own to improve yourself. This is huge for veterans because they're coming back. First of all, we're exposing our military veterans too soon to combat. So they're not mentally, emotionally, spiritually equipped to see those things. For me, it was three years before I saw combat. So I think I was pretty prepared by the time I, I got there. Okay. But when they come back and they're having problems, some feel like I can't do anything about this. I, I'm, just, I'm just broken. And that's not the case. So it's instilling faith back in them that they have some type of control to improve themselves, improve their lives, and find their purpose in the civilian sector, right? And where we see the huge change, we see the huge change with the families, where you have the, the wife and kids who are saying, he's night and day, she's night and day since she's come back home, you know, thank you. And here it is, low cost. Um, most of them are, are taking off all of these medications and the Florida state Senator, he's been to Congress and he's presented this to them. And you know who fought back? Big pharma. Sounds about right. And they lost. Yep. They're going back this year and they're going to put it in a, in a, in a framework of a financial perspective on how much money you can save. Right. When the time, the last time before they were putting it in a health perspective, mm -hmm. Hey, this is really good for our, for our military veterans. And we didn't, we didn't seize that, right? We need representatives in Congress that says, Hey, this is long lasting treatment. And it gives our military veterans the ability to be a contribution to society and find their purpose. Right. Mm -hmm. We don't, we don't have enough representatives there. So this is, this, you know, this is part of the, this is part of my, um, my message. Well, and it brings into this creeping problem of Democrats on the national stage talking about Medicare for all, uh, free college education and all these things. And whenever I bring that up to a veteran, like it's like we already have this program in place. And the first thing that veterans always tell me, well, is yeah, but you know, VA is the perfect example of what, why we don't want Medicare for all. Because at the end of the day, these these plans that are supported largely by the Democrats end up benefiting health insurance companies, big pharma, the pro the for profit hospitals, and they're not actually addressing any of the issues that their constituents are asking for. You know, no, no, they're not. And you have to look at it like this: one, we need to repeal Obamacare. Yeah. Period. And we need to make it uh, make make it more competitive. We need to make it a free market so that there's lower premium costs. There's there's um, we the the American people have have more options in order to get the health care that they need. We all, we need to put we need to put the option back into the American people and not and not the the healthcare insurance companies, right? So I mean you're you're absolutely right. Like this is um, I'm a part of the VA. I'm on a six month waiting list for dental. Wow, six months. Like I, I know the pain, I know the pain and, and they're, they're, they're processing you through, you know, meaning if they only give you a certain window, you have a medical appointment, you get there, you got a certain window that the doctor can see you, they check you off. All right. Okay. You're good. And you're out and, and you're looking like, what just happened? Like, holy, holy smokes. Like that was only like 10, 15 minutes. I really didn't, you know, you, so it, it's, in, it's inefficient. Um, and, and it, they're falling very, very short. 
for providing for, for providing medical services to our military veterans. But let's look at it from a core perspective. When we're dealing with all these issues, healthcare, right? When we're dealing with um, securing the border, immigration, when we're dealing with the budget, when we're dealing with all these issues, they're forming a circle around one core, one core mission by the Democrats and by our, and by our enemies. And that is to destroy the American fabric. That is to destroy what this country was founded on, which is our U.S. Constitution, which is faith in God, right? So now here is you have these military veterans who are proven to protect our country and they come back and they can't get the medical treatment that they need mm-hmm. knowing that if something was to happen in our country on our soil, who's going to be the first to step up to protect the country veterans, the military veterans. And if we are mentally un- un- unstable or, or, or on all these drugs where we can't, can't function or we don't get the, the care that we need in order to stay, to stay viable for mm-hmm. our community, then it's a greater chance for our enemies to destroy us. <laughs> so I, I have a very unique perspective when I'm looking at these things yeah. because it boils down to just <clears throat> tearing us apart. You see the divisiveness in this country. The American people have a choice. They control this divisiveness. Yep. They're the ones who can go out and vote and says, I don't like what this representative is doing. He doesn't represent me. She doesn't represent me. I'm going to vote for someone who does. But the enemies want you to believe that Congress has the power mm-hmm. or the president has the power or the judicial court has the power. The people put them in power. How do Republicans fight this divisiveness, right? What, what is, uh, what is it going to take in 2020 for Republicans to be able to stop the narrative that either comes from, you know, mainstream media outlets, putting the left's agenda or from, you know, elected officials going out and attacking and demonizing one side or the other, you know, it happens on both sides for sure. But what do you think needs to change within the Republican Party in order for us to see real change and the way this country is not only represented, but the conversations that we're having on a regular basis to end this divisiveness and get back to, like you said, representing the people, delivering results on mission critical priorities? Two words, and it's very simple. Personal responsibility. What am I doing today that is advancing our conservative values to protect our people and the American and our country? So it's not just my responsibility. It's your responsibility. It's our responsibility to understand that we have to commit to the conservative principles and values to protect our country because right now the other side is pushing their false narrative and the American people have has nothing else to grab onto. We don't have to defend that. Let's push our agenda. We have to work hard. And from what I've seen over the years, the Republican party is not used to that. Mm -hmm. They're used to sitting back and waiting for things to come to them. 
America's changing. The times are changing. We have to work hard. We have to work together and we have to own it. We're not owning it. And, and this is what we have to do in order, in order to get over that hump. So it's knocking on doors like we're doing. It's, it's reaching and wanting to have a, a conversation with each other and those who aren't necessarily like Republicans, like have conversation with Democrats and, and have them see that one, the Democratic Party is not old and white. The Democratic Party is very, I mean, I'm sorry, the Republican Party is not old and white. Yeah. Right. The Republican Party is very diverse. Yep. We're not showing that at all. We need to show our diversity. We need to show that we really care about each other and we care about this country and we haven't been doing that. So this is the path for the Republican Party to come together, Texas and our whole country. We have to you know, step, step up and be an example. And this is one of the main reasons why I want to go to Congress is I want to be an example. I'm only one person. But if I can get there and I could be an example that I'm representing District 32 like they should be represented, that I could take um, that I can take hard criticism from the other side. But yet we but yet I'm still open for us to work together to pass legislation that's good for us. That speaks volumes because I'm not talking it. I'm walking it. And other people are going to see that. my other brothers and sisters representatives are going to see that. And I'm hoping that they latch on. And, and we move forward together. Excellent. Well, as we wrap up here, I want to give you one last chance. You know, personal responsibility for you extends to the, uh, you know, to the borders of District 32 right now. What is your pitch to voters? Here's your chance to speak to directly to the folks in CD32. Why should they support Floyd McClendon for CD32? The number one question that our people District 32 should be asking is, who is strong enough to defeat Colin Allred? I consider myself to be the whole man. I am a Christian. I'm a conservative. I'm a family man with four boys. 62% of the district are family households. 40% are 40 and younger. 40% are 50 and older. I'm 46. I'm right in the middle. I resonate with each, each group. 35% earn $50,000 or less. I've been there. I understand the struggle, right? Not, not only that, I have a proven record of 25 years of service at a very high level. And I am America's first agenda, unapologetic American. This, no other candidate has that across the board. And I believe that I am the, the candidate that is strong enough to beat Colin Allred. And I just want District 32 to do their research. And when they do, they're going to see, yes, this is the guy, and he is going to represent us. We can believe in Floyd McClendon, right? www.mclendonforcongress.com. Go there. Look at, look, at, you know, look, at my, look at my message consistently. My Twitter, my Facebook, it is consistent. I am a servant leader. I want to restore God's presence by my actions, and I'm an unapologetic American. I appreciate that, Floyd. You hit the nail right on the head on the way out. Uh, go ahead and give your website, social media, all that stuff if people want to learn more about you and your campaign. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Jordan. Website, MacLendonForCongress.com. That's one C, M-C-L-E-N-D-O-N for Congress.com. 
My Facebook is Floyd McLendon for TX-32. My Twitter is at Floyd McLendon. I appreciate it, Floyd. We didn't get a chance to talk about it, but I do want to uh, say that I, I really liked your ad that you put out so focused on your service and just the reverence that I think comes with our military, especially those who really take home the message that this is not about themselves. This is about our constitution. It's about our con our country. It's about the people you're defending and for you personally, your family, right? It all comes down to family. And I think America has lost sight of whether we're on one side or the other. We all belong to the same country that is trying to build each other up. Absolutely. We are Americans of different ethnicity. Most importantly, we're Americans, period. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Floyd. And we'll see you again after the uh, primary is over and we can try and uh, talk some more about how you're going to defeat Colin in November. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. Really appreciate it. All right. Thank you again to Floyd for joining us. If you want to find out more about him, you can find him on Facebook, Floyd McClendon for TX-32. Uh, you can go to his website, McClendonforCongress.com or email him McClendonforCongress at Gmail. Uh, thank you again to Floyd and Genevieve for coming on. If you are in the TX32 race and you'd like to get on the podcast before the March 3rd primary, hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Big Texas Podcast. Make sure you're following Texas Young Republicans on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Texas YRs. And make sure that you are signed up for our email alerts. Go to our website, TexasYR.gop. Uh, if you are listening to this on iTunes, hit that subscribe button, Spotify, Google podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts also on YouTube. Uh, and make sure you are following this, sharing this with your friends, getting the word out and educated electorate is the best way we move forward for a brighter future. That sounded good. I should put that on a towel or something. Anyways, thank you again to everyone for listening, taking part, being, uh, doing your part to help keep Texas red in 2020. Until next time, friends, we'll see you down the road.